Dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox podcast with Tanny and Herb. Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. Mailbag Monday edition. My name is Herb Lawrence. With me is Chris Tannehill. We're coming. Actually, from his palatial basement. It's not palatial. Yes, the basement may be palatial, but the estate is certainly not. Yes. And we're enjoying life right now because we love our Mailbag Mondays. But, Chris, before we get into the mailbag, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. If you're a Sox fan, you're probably doing good, too. You're, we're waking up and, you know... Probably not going back to work. A lot of you are, you know, still uh, not working. You know, still working from home, so you can't rub it into your coworker. You know, the guy sitting next to you at the cubicle can't rub it in that the socks took two or three, and that sucks. You know, that's of course that's par for the course. Everything happening this year, you know, just just with Sox fans luck right there, right? Uh, but you know, the Sox are still they they won two or three against the Cubs, so you should be feeling good about that as you're waking up today on Monday morning. And this episode of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by Rock Auto. Com. Hey folks, summer's almost coming to an end, and if you're like me, you're probably thinking of hitting the road one last time before the kids start school, or before maybe you have to go back to work. But before you hit the road, you're going to want to make sure that everything in your car is running tip-top shape. And to do that, you're going to want to get all the parts you need at rockauto.com. Why go to a chain store? Those people will gouge you with prices, sometimes 30, 50, even 100% more than the exact same auto parts that you could find at rockauto.com. You see, chain stores, they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers like you. But rockauto.com's prices are always the same for everybody and, of course, always reliably low. rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear sort of like how airlines do rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login that's my favorite part of rockauto.com it's just how easy it is to smoothly navigate find the parts you need and of course no passwords required so if you're forgetful like i am no need to wait on emails confirming your password and you sit there and you forgot why you're even on the site to begin with not on rockauto.com rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years just go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers they've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps motor oil and even new carpet whether it's your classic or daily driver get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and do this for us, won't you? Right locked on in their How'd You Hear About Us section so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. All right, so episode 54. It's been a while since we've had sort of this island episode, the socks being off tonight, and a good time to open up the mailbag. But when you think of 54, who, who's the first one that pops in your mind? Because I'll tell you, for some reason, the first one I always think of is David Risky. That's all. I don't remember. I don't know why I remember the 54 so vividly with him, but he's the first one that pops into my mind. Wow. Yeah. David Risky. I remember him mostly as a Cleveland Indian. 
and given up that home run to Joe Creedy in 2005, a walk-off home run after the White Sox uh, tried to lose that game. And then that was kind of like the relief of, oh, okay, we're going to do it. They lost the next game. But, yeah, 54, that's weird. He was only here for, like, what, one year, if that? Yeah, I don't know why I think of him first and foremost. Maybe because it was all those good years in Cleveland. And so, you know, you just remember him wearing that. But also notable names here, uh, <laughs> Ronald Belisario. Oh. You talk about the goggles. They do nothing. My eyes, the goggles do nothing. Uh, that's like a prime example right there. That's like everything wrong with White Sox baseball in the last 10 years, that one year of Ronald Belisario. But there's a lot of names on this list here. Irvin Santana, who still follows me on Twitter, so I don't want to disrespect him too much. But Copy he, listening. Yeah, he's oh definitely big-time Locked On Sox listener, famously. Irvin Santana, he'll, he, tw- he tweets a old video of something that happened you know 50 years ago, hashtag smell baseball. Uh, you got to love that. But, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's some – some, this is basically like where middle relievers go to die when they have number 54 on their back. And there's nobody on here that is of our 2005 tiebreaker type yes. of thing. So there's nobody in 2005 that wore number 54. But I, I think of a guy actually coming off this Cubs series and Felix Diaz. you remember anything about Felix Diaz, Herbie? Not a damn thing. Okay, I remember him only because he made one of his first starts of the year in 2004 against the Cubs at home he is his second start I believe and it was one of those things where the Cubs you know they were the Cubs at that point the Sox sort of middling trying to find their identity uh, it was a big game for both teams this is June 26 2004 and Felix Diaz just up from AAA I believe at the time and and what does he do he goes down there and courtesy of a five spot in the third inning, he he helps, you know, not shut down the Cubs completely, but good enough to get the win against Carlos Zambrano that day uh, on the south side in front of 39,000 plus Sox win six to three. Uh, in that game, you had uh, some contributions from what, what, what do we have here? We had we had a home run from Pauly, of course, a home run from Creedy, of course. Sammy contributed for the, for the Cubs. D. Lee, you know this is uh, Corey Patterson with the home run that wow. game. This was a uh, yeah. There's a lot of odd things happening in this game, but you know it was Felix Diaz. I always think of him as you know you have this image in your mind of guys that come up and get called up for Cubs Sox games. You know this is back when you know it usually was either one team was out of it and one team was in it and you're, you're just trying to disrupt the you know it was the the big misnomer like oh after the Cubs Sox series one team always goes one way and the other team goes the other way and the guy in the middle says what do you want from me but the, people <laughs> always used to say like oh yeah this, the Cubs oh yeah they were never the same after the Sox took uh, two games out of three that one year they just went down to, they went down to shitter after that after the, after the Sox <laughs> beat them you know people like there's always like you know it's a big urban legend but that year in 2004 it's sort of like you become a folk hero and obviously what good is it if you don't even remember Felix Diaz when I say his name but no. I'll always remember him for a couple starts he made in 2004 for the White Sox and uh, propelling them to a crosstown uh, series victory but I think that a tiebreaker ultimately uh, of course you have David Ardsma who is still I think the very first name listed uh, in, in baseball players of all time because of the double A right MCO um, yeah <laughs> David Ardsma is I think still number one yeah, and, so he has that distinction, which you can never take it away from him. And he was unless, traded. Unless you have a different last name. He was you traded from it. the Cubs to the Sox, I believe. Exactly, for Neil Cotts, right? I believe that was the guy. Yeah. Um, 
But I think ultimately, if there's no 05 member on the team, no, no one wore number 54 in 2005. So I think the tiebreaker would have to go if you're a Hall of Famer and you rock the 54 for the White Sox. I think it's got to be your episode. So this is a guy who has some unfortunate thoughts on the modern day uh, baseball game and, and, and how it's played. But uh, the goose, Rich Gossage, was a very, very good pitcher for the White Sox for a number of years, 1972 to 1976. I always think of him as a Yankee. Um, but he was very good with the White Sox and, you know, people don't think about him as a White Sox, but he had some good years there and uh, on, uh, in route to his hall of fame career. Yeah. I, I really wasn't alive. So <laughs> I only heard about things that Rich Gossage did as a White Sox. I remember him more as a cub at the end of his career. And of course the clips you see as him as a Yankee and that mustache, I think I remember him of the most, and his unfortunate thoughts of today's game is what I think about Goose Gossage. But, yeah, this episode has to be named after him because he is now a Hall of Famer and two-time All-Star with yeah, the White Sox. Yeah, look at that. Look at that season he had there in 1975. An All-Star, six in the Cy Young, 17th in the MVP, led the league in saves with 26 in 1975. So, yeah, it was a beautiful year there, you know, with the, the red and white pinstripes. Oh, I'm sure it was glorious. But, yeah, Goose Goose is up there in the, in the upper deck next time you go to the ballpark when they have their their mural of the 1970s, the collage of the 70s great White Sox. Like, yeah, that, he's up there with them. So I hereby decree it's the Goose Gossage episode of Locked on Sox. So what do you say? Open up that mailbag. Yes. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. And we love email, too. And if you want to send us an email, Herbie, how do they go about doing that? LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. That is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. As you're going to hear, you don't just have to ask us about the White Sox or baseball in particular. Comments, questions, whatever you want to talk about. We got your answers. If you're good enough to make it to this episode, we read them all, but... Only a select few make it to Locked On Socks Mailbag Monday episode. So send it in. That's not true. We will we will read your. We will eventually get to the point where we can't read them all. But today we're reading them all. Yeah, we're reading them all. So <laughs> I'm saying right now we're reading them all. But if we get in the hundreds, you know, yeah. maybe not. But yeah, we're reading them all. And I got all of our all of our normal guys emailed us this week i think and a lot of them got, did yes then we got some new guys we'd like to see some new emailers good job people. love love that i yes. i would i would love to get into a situation where we get 100 emails and we could just do five mailbags a week and call it a day and not have to <laughs> stay up until midnight uh, breaking down games and <laughs> uploading podcasts but uh to set it off well first of all one of the things that I, I just want to talk about something here. One of my big takeaways from Cubs Sox series was what was your favorite thing that happened this weekend with Cubs and Sox other than the results? What was your favorite thing that happened either on or off the field? Well, my favorite thing is Dallas Keiko. The fact that he is much better than I thought he would be. He's an ace for this capital, yeah. capital A. Yeah, like if we're going, hey, which pitcher would you want starting a one game playoff to get into the playoffs. I'm starting Dallas Keuchel over Lucas Giolito right now. The guy is just doing things that I didn't think he still had. He looks like the Cy Young guy. Maybe not the stats probably don't bear it out, but they're getting a lot of soft contact off of him and he's getting the job done. So I didn't know he was this guy. I didn't know that he was going to be this good. Maybe I didn't pay attention enough, but I know I wanted him in the offseason that it would solidify their starting rotation, and he's done more than I could even imagine. Yeah, I was 
very excited, and he certainly lived up to the expectations. But I remember that night, and I always go back to that as a demarcation point where all of a sudden it got real. You know, the Grandal thing was one thing, but it was the first move, and nothing happened for a while. And then you're sort of waiting for the other dominoes to fall. And I remember I was sitting here with my wife, and I was I was taking a break from social media on my Christmas vacation, and we are here watching Christmas Vacation, National Lampoon movie. We were wrapping some presents. And I remember getting the text from Mitch Rosen, our boss. Uh, he, I think you were on it and Kev mm-hmm. Bo was on it. He told all the Sox fan contingent at the score that the Sox signed Dallas Keuchel. And that was just one of those moments. I was like, oh, this is awesome, and it's finally happening. So I'll always associate him with that. And so far, he's lived up to it and even exceeded those expectations. So, yeah, that, that's a good call. Loved watching Dallas out there. But I would say my favorite moment from Cubs Sox series was what happened after the game on Saturday, you know, and Danny Mendick's been doing this thing with Zach Collins on, on social media where they're dancing for dubs. And you guys, I'm sure, have seen it. It's a fun thing. Uh, if you want to see a couple white guys dance and, you know, they have an eclectic taste in music, you never know what's going to pop up on the playlist. But there's been this uh, this outcry on social media of having Don Cooper participate uh, in the Dancing for Dubs post game, and I don't know what it was. I'm sure Coop probably said, "Oh, the win the Cub series," and I'll go on there and I'll dance for Dubs with you. But Don Cooper was there last night, mask and all. He was wearing that mask uh, appropriately. Um, you know, he was wearing it like how it should be worn in the post game. But it was that was my favorite thing because, of course, they had the the song the Chuck Berry song "You Never Can Tell," which was made famous from Pulp Fiction. So seeing Coop dance like that was probably one of my favorite things ever. You know, I, I, I couldn't stop talking like Coop as Vincent Vega you know, for a good period of time after that. It was like, oh, you know what they call a Big Mac in Europe? They call it a Royale with cheese, okay? They put mayo on it, all that shit, okay? <laughs> I couldn't stop you know, doing that, you know? Uh, but, yeah, it was that was probably my favorite thing. And, of course, um, what do you think of when you think of Chuck Berry, Herb? Of course. You got to think of Marvin Berry. <laughs> Yo, cousin. <laughs> That's what you think of? Yes. What about farting in a hooker's face? <laughs> <laughs> you never, you never seen this before. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Um, <laughs> you never heard about this? No, I never heard about it. Oh my god, that's great. Um, uh, not, not safe for work, though. Well, I'm not at work. I mean, this is work, but I'm not at work. Um, I'm on the show. <laughs> yeah, so Chuck Berry had a sex tape, and he he farted in the in his partner's face, um, and that's kind of what I think of. That's his kink, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, oh. um, yeah. So now I'm, I won't be surprised if my computer just explodes because of that site I just visited, trying to find it. It said not safe for work, but you know that's not new on this computer. But when all of a sudden you get the pop-ups going, that, that's scary territory. But yeah, Don Cooper as Vincent Vega and the Pulp Fiction song, I loved it. And uh, that, that was good stuff to see, man. I'm glad Coop is in on the fun. Uh, he, he's, he's living his best life, as the kids like to say, uh, two years ago. And he's not letting you guys on social media get you know get down, get get him down. You know, you guys want to have him fired out here when they're on the on the verge of making the playoffs. So yeah, Coop out here, man. I love it. Love it, love it. So, mailbag. 
just thought I'd share that. Mailbag, uh, first entry here. We read them in the order in which they were received, unless uh, you know some things are more topical than others. I'll move them around a little bit. But the first one was from Ian in Portage Park. Love Portage Park. I used to live there. One of my favorite places in the city. Ian writes, "Hello, fellas. Love your show. This Thank is you. this is really an off the wall one to start it off with, but I, but I love where he's coming from." Why doesn't baseball start the seven-inning doubleheader games in the top of the third? I'm already tired of having commentators remind me that there are seven innings. <laughs> I, I like where your head's at. Oh, my at. God, Ian. I mean, it's it's genius. It's awesome. I mean, baseball is nine innings, and just chop off the first two. I mean, let's just get to it. Let's get to the regular shit. And also, the Cubs and other teams can do that bullshit seven-inning stretch if they want to. Because they can actually have it and not be the end of the game. So yeah, Ian, man, you're thinking on a different level, and I like that. Ian. I hear you, man. I'm I'm just so you know sick of it. It's like the fifth inning, and you know a lot of times with baseball, I'm so used to watching and so used to the pacing of it that all of a sudden Benetti will get on there and be like, "Now remember, this is a seven inning game," and usually I'm just like, "Oh no, I forgot! Oh my God, someone score a run! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I hate this!" I liked it when it was the Cubs Cardinals doubleheader. Because you know when it's not your team and you got you have two games to play, you don't mind it being only fourteen innings you have to watch. And yeah, and you get to get off of work, and I got to work both <laughs> no, games. Well, yeah, that's really why I love it. But the, but then you have the the weird thing where you know the the home team switches. I know that's not for all of them, but that's what the Cardinals happen to do. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the box score and you're like, oh oh wait oh wait no that team is there now and they're on the bottom, not the top. And you know they bottom from the top and you know all this stuff. But yeah, it's that's I like the idea. You know I, I think. It's you know baseball is all about nine you know so keep it at nine don't don't stop at seven so I like where your head's at Ian thank you for the contribution yeah they could just say that the first two I mean we're already di- suspending disbelief already with the bullshit extra inning thing where the guy gets on second and you say that was a team error blah 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 just say the first two innings were scoreless no and hitless and now we're starting the third Ian you should be on this uh, baseball committee you outside the box thinking is what they need. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it, I wouldn't be surprised if Ian's hired, you know, if they all of a sudden roll him out the day before the playoffs. Like, oh, Ian's in charge of everything. And so we'll just make things up as we go along. And, you know, everyone has got to touch, catch a fly ball in their hat. Uh, next one up here from Michael. Always love when Michael checks in. Is it true, Michael? <laughs> Michael says this. What has Rick Hahn done since the rebuild started that you or I couldn't have done after reading Baseball America? If any of these prospects don't work out, the rebuild will fail because Hahn has done the amazing thing on missing out on just about every single pick outside the ones he had in the top five, and a few of those as well. They don't have a Glaber Torres or Eloy coming to trade for pieces they need to fill in the gaps. As from Michael Patrick, thank you, Michael, for checking in. Herbie, your your guy Rick Hahn in his Teflon suit, I'll let you start this one off because this is a very layered, complicated one for at least how I see it. Oh, let's see. I mean, signing Luis Robert is a huge deal. I give Rick Hahn the hardest of times, and he deserves it. He's a guy in this town that doesn't get the proper criticism that he deserves. So I feel it's my job to hammer him when I don't think that he's doing his job to the fullest. But I think in general, he has done a decent job of making this team the way it is now. Now, they haven't had a winning season under his regime at all. And these last three years have been on purpose that result the they weren't supposed to be over five hundred. But 
since the rebuild started, I haven't seen him do anything that I would say this is detrimental to the rebuild. I, there's a couple signings that he didn't get. The Manny Machado signing you could say whatever you want about Manny Machado not going out and getting him with full barrels and actually offering him a deal instead of getting his brother-in-law and giving him a representative deal like the Padres gave him uh, was a misstep, but it's not detrimental to the rebuild. Um, I just think that he is hamstrung on what he can do, and he has to do certain things to appease Jerry Reinsdorf. I think in this regard, while we have Nomar Mazzara, is because he had to do some trading with Jerry Reinsdorf. I think he had to go to him and say, I want X, Y, and Z on the White Sox. I want to pay Yasmani. I want to pay uh, Dallas Keiko. And I want to pay Edwin Encarnacion. And he's like, man, it's a lot of money you're putting out there. You don't have enough for that right fielder that you want, like Yasiel Puig or Nicholas Castellanos, if you have them on your list. So I'll give you these three, but you got to find a, a right fielder by trade you're not gonna and a cheap right fielder so that's why we got Norman Mazzara for Steel Walker instead of going out and getting Nicholas Castellanos to patrol right field or Yasiel Puig so he has to do a little creative roster making because his owner still wants to look at the bottom line and make sure that he is making a decent buck which is his right he's a business owner he looks at this as a business he doesn't care about the championships he's got his championship so I, I don't fault Jerry Reinsdorf in that. It is what it is. So, yeah, I don't I don't say that Rick has done anything that I would say this guy is messing up the rebuild or he's doing something that the rebuild should be doing the other way. So I got to give him credit for what the team's done. That's what I'm all about. If he fucks up, you know, I'll be here to kill him. <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what can be said about the White Sox at times was said uh, about the Soprano crew uh, from Butchie, uh, of course, and the Leotardo crew. He got redundant upper management, bleeds off after kick. The inherent issue with the White Sox is that you, you don't know who's calling the shots. You don't know what kind of financial flexibility they have because, you know, because of Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, and his famous, you know, finish second place every year philosophy, you know, which, again, you know, try doing that more often. I think you'd have a happier fan base if you actually finished in second place. But with, with the whole power structure there with the White Sox, we know Jerry, you know, weighs in on baseball decisions. You know, they sit there uh, as, as a as a threesome and they and they hammer out a lot of the big picture moves like when when it was time to pay Luis Robert. You know, Rick Hahn had to bring it to Kenny, and Kenny saw him, of course, or then they had to bring it to Jerry for final approval, which, of course, happens with any organization. But I feel like this three-tiered structure that the White Sox have is an inherent problem because you never know who to direct your blame toward. You never know who to direct your praise toward. And it's really confusing at times, and I think maybe that's why they like it that way because, you know, there's no real lightning rod. I mean, Kenny comes out once in a while, and sometimes you wish, we wish he wouldn't, like after the botch Machado thing, which I don't want to put on Rick Hahn. I don't want to put on Kenny. I just I don't know what happened there. We'll eventually find out, but obviously they, were, they had their financial threshold, and and they weren't allowed to, to meet or exceed it. So that that's that's one thing. But when you look at just the overall job that he's done – you know the the state of the organization is in much better shape than it was 
when Rickon took over the gig. And again, back to the problem of you never know who to blame for this, but Rickon inherited a, a boat with a lot of leaks in it. Um, he, what I always remember Rickon saying is that he was one of the people standing on a table trying to get them to tear the thing down to the studs after the 07 season. And granted, they make the playoffs a year after that, but we all knew at the time, we're like, yeah, these are aging veterans who only have a few prime years left in, in, in their careers. So maybe it would be time to unload and, and start to rebuild this thing. But no, the, the, the mentality of the organization at the time was go for it every year. But of course, they never truly went for it every year. They half-assed it most of the time. So, you know, we never got to see what Rick Hahn's true vision of the team would be. But he took the public face of this rebuild and said, hey, man, we're mired in mediocrity right now. And they decided to change course after that. But again, getting back to it, they don't do it unless all parties agree to it, you know, which who knows how I think Rick Hahn tried to convince them for a long time that this wasn't working. He's a smart guy. You know, he, 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 he you know, I don't know how much of a, of a baseball guy he is, you know, because he, he came into the organization as sort of like the numbers guy. So I don't think he's like one of these Dave Dombrowski types where they just, you know, they, they know everything about talent and they'll always, you know, get one over on you. But having said that, Rick Hahn has gotten over on a lot of his trade partners over the years. So either he has the right people with him or he's a better baseball man than we're giving him credit for. But the draft picks have been horrendous. And you remember – Getting back to the whole situation that Rick Hahn inherited, they had I, I, I harp on this a lot because it's important because it set the organization back at least a decade was the international scouting scandal of the late uh, early 2000s, like, you know, 07, 08 ish. And they lost pretty their whole Dominican and Latin American pipeline dried up because of that. And teams didn't trust them. But Rick Hahn came in along with Kenny Williams and they, they rebuilt it hired Marco Patti, and all of a sudden you're churning out guys like Fernando Tatis. And you say what you want about the trade, but at least they were able to identify, scout, develop, and turn him into something. Now, if they had a Tatis right now, and they would they would spin him off, let's say he was on the same course of his trajectory you know, this year as opposed to 2016, if they were to spin him off for a top-tier pitcher – to fill out the rotation in a year like this and things were normal, you'd be like, okay, yeah, that's the price of playing poker. You dealt one of your top prospects for a top-of-the-line starting pitcher, and you'd be cool with that. You know what I mean? So I, I think things look better on that front as far as developing that talent. I still would like to see more. I feel like the Sox are always lacking that talent in Latin America. You know, I don't know if it's still dealing from the ramifications of what happened 10 years ago or what it is, um, or just their organizational philosophy of relying heavily on college guys who have done it before at a high level. But I would like to see you know some improvements at, at that level. But their draft picks have been have been bad. Okay, so in the Rick Hahn era, they got TA, and again we don't know was that that seemed like it was a Kenny pick. Like even though it was Rick Hahn's yeah, team, yeah, yeah. Uh, athlete that really you know was at community college was a basketball player more than baseball player, and that's the Kenny. Mo, yeah. Um, after that, another, you know, um, you had Carlos Rodon, who at the time, awesome pick, awesome pick, fell to them actually. Um, you know, because they thought you know they couldn't sign him, so that was an awesome pick. Turned out to not work because of injuries. So there's not a whole lot you can do about that. But again, you have to remember what people said at the time. Um, except you go to the next pick, Carson Fulmer, who's not even on the team anymore. And not even on Detroit anymore. Is did they let him go already? Yeah, DFA'd him already. Oh, the, I, man, that that sucks. But. 
you have a guy like Walker Bueller on the same team at Vanderbilt, and you're wondering, okay, who messed up here in the scouting? And I remember they they kicked Doug Lauman upstairs, and I think they eventually got rid of him, but when they, they brought in Nick Hostetler, and so the drafts have gotten better of, of late. Um, then you have Zach Collins, who we still don't know what we have, and when I look at him, I always think of this is just a, a victim of bad circumstance because he – his trajectory, you know, he's a guy that he's not ready yet. And, you know, because of their 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 abundance of DHs and first basemen, he's a guy who hasn't had the time. I think they hope that he would develop quicker behind the dish and he would be their catcher. But things change. Plans change. Now I worry that he's not – he'll be a part of a package to trade for someone if they make a trade, but he's not going to be like the, the headliner of that package. He'll be, he'll be a throw-in. Um, you know, getting he'll be a throw in along with Andrew Vaughn, who I think will be the first guy to go if they have to make a big time trade because that's your number one prospect right now. That's that that hasn't graduated yet because a lot of these guys like Luis Robert are going to graduate and eventually Kopech will be here and he won't be on a prospect list anymore. But as far as position players, it's Andrew Vaughn. But going back to the drafts, then you have Jake Berger, uh, you know, who at the time everyone loved the pick, but just injuries, man, like freak injuries, like. Simpsons level uh, <laughs> team softball episode uh, yeah. freak injuries to Jake Berger gigantism yeah and he's uh, and he's in Schaumburg now which is a really a, a, a great revelation like you know a cool part of this year is that he's there and he could possibly uh, see some action this year you know not likely but he's there in Schaumburg working out with the rest of the prospects so you know Jake Berger I, I think we can it's safe to say that that's you know not a great pick because of just how it worked out. Not because of, you know, everything, anything anyone said at the time, but just injuries didn't work out. Then Nick Madrigal, who we saw only a little bit of, but things to be pointing upward on him. And I like the, what he does to the lineup. And I think this is a really dangerous lineup if he comes back full force because now all of a sudden you have some some depth to it. And you have basically he's doing what what um, what Danny Mendick could do, but hopefully at a higher level, a little better defense and maybe a little more pop. But Danny Mendick's even had some pop. So the Nick Madrigal thing, you could argue that maybe they went too high on a guy who profiles like that, and that that's a fair criticism. So, And then, you of course, you have Andrew Vaughn, people regard as one of the great hitting prospects in all of baseball, and Garrett Crochet, who we haven't seen at all, but by all accounts, people say they got a steal in this guy, and he could be the next Chris Sale. So there's just a lot of layers here with the Rick Hahn thing. But as far as since the rebuild started, there it is right there, the Luis Robert thing. And it's tough to say what's he done since the rebuild started because the rebuild has been going on for the past four years. And I think we could finally say it's ended now. Um, but he did bring in Dallas Keuchel, as we mentioned. That, that was a big deal. Um, but then again, he goes ahead and trades for Nomar Mazzara, which is puzzling. So it's a very complicated uh, tenure here for Rick Hahn, but I think all will be forgiven if they can eke into the playoffs this year. And it seems like the overall health of the organization is good. And remember, you know, I don't know what the Padres prospect, you know, what their pipeline looks like below what's already at the major league level right now. Really good. Okay, I know it's really good, but they said the same thing about the White Sox too. But most of the guys are here already. Mm-hmm. So now it's their job. What kills them is they don't have a minor league season, so we don't know who's there. But you have guys like Matt Foster, Cody Hoyer, guys who we never heard of practically, and sorry to all my future Sox people like who you know there was a lot of like people on Twitter saying how could you never heard of Matt Foster? Like sorry man, just don't don't yeah. have yeah, <laughs> uh, you know Not, don't have an MILB <laughs> account. Sorry. Yeah, but so 
you know, I, I never would have thought they would have had guys, you know, contribute this year from the minor league levels, you know, especially pitching wise. But the pitching looks like it's a, a, it's on a, an upward tick here. So, yeah, man, the, the Rick Hahn thing is, you know, it's complicated, man. That's all I could say about our guy, Rick. You know, I think he's a smart guy, and but he's, 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 you know, everyone has dealt with a situation where you're at work and, you know, you, you have upper management above you that kind of like squashes your plans or, you know, doesn't do everything they can to support you along the way. And, you know, I don't want to be smirch Kenny Williams at all because he's done some amazing things with this organization. So, you know, the getting Jose Abreu on board in 2014, even though again, Rick Hahn's tenure technically, but we heard the reports. Yeah. Kenny was down there. I was down there, and Rick Hahn was just chilling out at the crib. <laughs> I was scouting him. That was my pick. Yeah, so again, I guess that, that it goes back to the very way I started the answer here, and sorry for being so long-winded, but it is that complicated. But you never know who's truly in power there, and that's the inherent problem with this organization because you, you get mad sometimes at the team and you want to know where to direct your ire. And, you know, I don't know if it, if Rick Hahn is the guy that you sh- that all the ire should go to is what I'm saying. So thank you very much, Mike. Unless you want you want to cap that with anything? I know that was very long-winded, and but I told you it was complicated and layered. So you got anything else you want to cap there about your guy Rick Hahn and his Teflon suit there, Herbie? Absolutely nothing, but uh, thanks for listening, Rick, though. Too. <laughs> exactly. Obviously. Oh, and this next one here. Oh, it's a big one here. Chris Collins. Of course, not the Northwestern coach. No, no, no. Much better than that guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. This guy has a better track record than uh, than the Northwestern coach. Uh, Chris Collins, by the way, was our former boss at the score. He was our former sports director. He is not the one who hired me. He was working White Sox games when I came in as an intern. But, uh, you know, a lot of my personal development as a radio producer uh, was under his watch. So I, I owe a lot of what I have in this business to Chris Collins and a very, very smart White Sox fan and, and great guy all around. But he finally checks in. I know he's an avid listener of the show, but he finally checks in with an email. Uh, and it, this one is not so layered as the last one, but it says, guys, it seems like the home whites look just a bit sharper this season. And I can't figure out why is it the new Nike threads? I know everyone loves the vest look and wants it back, but would it even work with the tighter uniforms being worn these days in comparison to the early mid two thousands, the two, two to good room. Thank you, Chris Collins, for checking in. Miss you, buddy. We got to get together soon when this is all over, which will be never. We can have a, have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what, what do you think about the uniforms, Irby? I was thinking the same thing. I think I tweeted it like, man, these classic uh, home whites are crisp this year. Maybe Nike has some better color schemes than I think it was Majestic doing the uniforms of the last yeah, couple of years. A, we have a Majestic in front of us uh, with my signed Frank Thomas jersey, and I think there is something to that. I think the Nike jerseys have richer colors, like darker blacks, whiter whites, and you you throw that swoosh on everything and, and on anything, and it just pops. looks better. It yeah. pops. It looks better. Yeah. So, that, you know, I think that's a fair point there. Like, they obviously, it's obviously a much better tailored look. You know, whenever I used to wear majestic jerseys, it was just real, like, you know, it was kind of all over you, and it wasn't particularly comfortable. So I don't know. I've never held and, and, and felt a, a Nike authentic jersey, so I couldn't speak to, like, the, the actual quality and, and how it feels. But, yeah, it, it certainly does pop. And, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to attribute that to other than Nike. They may know what they're doing. Yeah, and they probably outfit their – uniforms for the player and they asked them you know tailor it to the player so it looks a little crisper and cleaner jimmy so, guns is like yeah just take it take everything off yeah. <laughs> except my number and name <laughs> yes that's we don't need any extra shit but 
I have one of those uh, vest jerseys, and I know they're not as crisp as the whites they have now, and they're very floaty. It's like way bigger than I am right now. Maybe I've lost a little weight, but that jersey, it just you know, it just start starts at a level up up your chest, and then continues that level down to your stomach, which, you know, shirts shouldn't do that. You know, my chest is bigger than my stomach, or at least the width is, so uh, it should be tailored to that uh, difference right there, and I think maybe the Nikes, especially, I look at Louis Robert. I was going to say, it's hard to... He's like a mannequin, It's hard to look frumpy when you got Louis Robert sporting your jersey, but I think what it is is they had the assistant to the traveling secretary of the White Sox, he said they should switch to cotton, because he said, if you wear cotton you feel better you play better so yeah i think that's what happens. is it breathable is it better <laughs> of course yeah okay. oh jose abreu just split his pants <laughs> uh, um yeah so thank you chris collins yeah i i agree i i think it's just nike they they know how to make their product pop on television on hd tv so i i do think looking at this jersey in front of me i think the whiters are whiter uh, this this year and all over the world, whites um, are white, <laughs> exactly, and and the, and the blacks are richer, deeper black tone. So, you know, and then and the swoosh. So, I, to summarize it, yeah, I think you're right. I think they do look better because I I pretty much retired being a jersey guy, but seeing some of these jerseys out here, you know, especially like the the '83 throwback, I really enjoy with the swoosh on it, and you got the the All Star Game patch and the Farmio patch, you know, and yeah, I, I I'm tempted this year to go out and buy a jersey, but the problem is like you know the guys who out there are playing are closer to my kids' age than they are to my age. So you're like, not so. a jersey guy anymore. You're a jersey boy. <laughs> I'm a jersey boy. Oh, the hey. jersey boys. Hey, Frankie Valley. <laughs> That's right. Who do you think you are, Frankie Valley? Um, all right, next one. Thank you, Chris. Miss you, buddy. Enjoy your out there running. He's out there, always out there listening to the show, running around. What are you running from, Chris Collins? I don't know. We'll see you out there in these streets. Uh, John writes this. I'm not watching much AL ball besides the Sox nowadays. If Jose and or Yohan continue to do what they've done for the first third of the season, do you think there's a realistic chance they win gold gloves this year? Y'all are the best. Oh, thanks, John. That's John, a.k.a. John Ye Kest on the tweeters, he says. At uh, John Ye Kest. All right, so gold glove, Herbie, for these guys. What do you think? I think we spoke about Jose Abreu a couple days ago. He is playing at a great level right now, and the the it's the best first base that he's played, I think, in a White Sox uniform. Yeah, the metrics have it out there. I think I checked out the Fielding Bible the other day, and he has defensive run saved. He is at like three right now, so it's bearing out that he is playing actual good defense this year. Usually, it's a negative for him. We've seen it, but his game overall has gone to the next level i didn't see this coming as you guys know i've been a detractor of jose abreu being brought back to this white Sox team when he said he wanted to come back and he's gonna come back no matter what he took that shit personally and we saw in the post game after saturday's game he was really emotional and he was like you know i see all these detractors all these people not giving me the proper respect and we just looked it up uh, I think uh, Chris Camp could kind of point it out to everybody that throughout his career with the White Sox, Paul Konerka was like a 28 F war or B war. And now through six plus years, Jose Abreu is a 22, 23 B war player. So the guy we laud, the guy we love, one of the best players, number retired, got a statue, Paul Konerko. 
Jose Abreu's having a better career as a White Sox, which is amazing to say. Yeah, Jose Abreu's going to have that number 79 thrown up there, uh, you know, behind home plate with the, with the other White Sox greats, maybe even have a statue. More importantly, because of his contributions, I think, to this team going forward. You know, we may see the skills deteriorate next year and the year after if he, st- he decides to stick around here. Um, but just instilling the culture and, and keeping that Cuban pipeline going and being instrumental in welcoming Yohan Moncada to the team and then in turn Moncada recruiting Luis Roberts. I mean, this stuff matters. And I think what we're seeing with him this year is a guy who's just re- rejuvenated by by youth around him and talent around him for the first time in a while. And and think about it, man. Like when Jose came over here in 2014, he was uh, he was on a team. The 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 true this was like the the championship team was truly on its deathbed because you, I think that was like one of was that Canerco's last year? I think in 2014 maybe, or was he or he replaced Canerco outright? I, we'll never know. You can never look this up on the internet at all. But <laughs> but anyway, it was, so it was like they still had guys that were lingering around, and the philosophy was lingering around. They were a team with no direction in 2014. You know, and and he came over and he came into a bad spot and people thought that they could, you know, prop some talent around him. And, you know, he had sale in Quintana, but ultimately, as we realized, it wasn't good enough. So this is a guy that finally is playing with some, with some hope and he's playing with passion and energy. And, and and with all that said, he's still producing at a high level. And we talk about him all the time as he's the guy that you want up there late in the game, you know, when you, when you need to drive in a run and you can talk about RBIs all you want and how they don't mean anything and they're a product of your teammates. But, you know, there is something to being a run producer, and, and he is that. But as far as gold glove is what you asked about, I don't think there's any way in hell he's winning a gold glove because as long as you have that guy Matt Olson out there in Oakland, who they, he's one of the last two years, I don't think you've got any chance there. But, you know, but it's a lot of times, you know, this stuff is still voted on by, by his peers and, and other managers. And finally, this may be the year where people start to recognize Jose Abreu as, you know, a top-tier first baseman in the American League, even though the defensive metrics don't always bear that out. But this year he's having a great year. So I think maybe it, with the, as the Sox ascend, maybe Jose Abreu's presence on a bigger picture begins to ascend, and maybe they, they, they give him one. You know, we get that silver slugger and, and gold glove. But as far as Yoan goes, he didn't do himself any favors today. I think he is a, a future gold glove winner. But he's 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 too dinged up right now, and I, I you know I don't see him recovering for, you know from from these injuries and putting it together and having an awesome like highlight reel season at third base. But I think it's there potentially, just not this year. If we're talking about you know Oakland A's holding people back from Gold Gloves, There's another guy over there, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> even if Johan Moncado had a stellar season at third base, Matt Chapman's the gold standard so to speak. Absolutely. As far as defense. And, he and don't forget his... about Giovanni Urshela. Oh, yeah. He's a good fella. Yeah, he's <laughs> the best defensive third baseman ever, according to A-Rod. Well, he's at currently now, but he is having a good year defensively. But Matt Chapman is the gold standard. Moncada's right there, though. You know, still, even with the injuries, he's right there. You just don't forget, you got Rendon now in, uh, in, Anaheim, in yeah. Anaheim, who I have not seen play yet uh this year i haven't been able to get the uh the mlb at bat going late night and for a west coast game because they're playing we, shitty i know they, they're not making our prediction look good for the angels out there um but yeah so but yeah he's there he'll 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 get one or two before it's all said and done but just i don't think this year i think you know there's there's a month left to go and he's battling whatever he's battling through right now and it's starting to affect him i think mentally as you saw with that play 
yesterday in that Cubs game. So, yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I just don't think this year for either of those guys. And if Jose Abreu wins a gold glove this year, that's a good sign for the White Sox because that means that they probably advanced far in the playoffs and, and they've taken that next step like that we've all wanted to see them take. Moving along here, we've got Matthew. Matthew checking in. Hey, guys. I was just curious what you think the back end of the starting rotation would look like down the stretch of the season. They could be looking for another arm at the trade deadline. This is probably contingent on the health of Rodon and Lopez, but that still seems to be up in the air. Love your show and go sacks. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you. Herbie, rotation. What do you think it's going to look like going forward here? Well, at the top, of course, we got Giolito and Keuchel, and then what Dylan Cease did on Sunday solidifies him as the number three pitcher on this team. So we got to go for four and five. What we saw from Ronaldo Lopez on Saturday was surprising to me, only though it was like, what, two innings he pitched, gave up two earned. It was so Ronaldo, though. It was yeah. like, you know, you know, runners on base, didn't earn it, and of course you get you give up one big hit, and all of a sudden, you know, you give up two runs easily. That's the problem with Ronaldo. Too many free passes, you know, I was hit by pitch, right? Is how those guys got on base, but yeah, it's... but. Like I said a couple of days ago, I, I want to see him come out of that healthy. I, I think just him being out there and throwing four or five innings, maybe not be stellar. You know, he's not going to be a top of the line guy this year. Uh, but him saving the bullpen is going to be huge. As far as Rodon goes, where where is he? We haven't heard a damn thing about Rodon since he left. I, I don't under you know it doesn't look good when you don't hear about someone. It's probably not good. But you know you would think that him and 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 Lopez would be on a similar path. But no, you haven't heard shit about Carlos Rodon. Yeah, and so that leaves you with the four and five being Lopez Rodon and Giovanni Gonzalez. Um, I'm not very sold on that back end, but also if you're in a playoff situation, you're going to only need three pitchers. So those guys will have to be put on the back burner anyways. And if this is a short season. If they need some games, I'm sure Giolito or Keiko can give them those innings they need. Or, as we've seen before, they can have a bullpen game with Matt Foster starting the game off. Ross Detweiler give you a good, good couple innings. I don't think they're going to be relying on Lopez, Gio, Gonzalez, or uh, Rodon for 4-5. They're just going to have some hodgepodge if they need to just to get them by so they can have their top three studs do their thing. I don't know if... They have enough to trade for a guy that would be a four or five starter at the back end of their rotation. Or you would if you would want a guy for a one month rental. So I think they're gonna stay solid with the guys that they have and just see who's pitching well and have them start or just have openers. Yeah, I don't think you're gonna see a lot of moves made either way at the deadline with any teams except unless you really have a plethora of prospects and I think maybe your Padres would fall into that all of a sudden they're a team that you're looking at them like oh okay this could be a problem for some folks in the National League and, and they, if they've got the the prospect depth and they've got some guys that are maybe stuck I, I think maybe that's a team that would be willing to to sacrifice a little bit of the future for the right now but I don't think the White Sox are in that spot whatsoever I, I think you know they're just going to ride it out for as long as they can this year because they know you know, next year they're gonna they should be even better. You know, you talk about the the natural trajectory of everyone's development, and you add Kopech in the mix next year, hopefully. So I, I think they're gonna stand pat, and I, I think, like you said, as long as they have two 
maybe three guys they can rely on. I, I think they're they're good with that, and, and I'm cool with with that as a one two three right now. I think that's almost as good as anyone. The Giolito, Keuchel, and and Cease, especially if we get more of uh, Dylan Cease that we saw today, that's a really good sign for them going forward. So I don't think that they're going to make any any huge moves because I I just don't think they they have the prospect depth to do so right now. At least not for what someone's going to be asking for in this season. Because I I think some teams will hold your feet to the fire because they know that some teams with a short season like this may be thinking a little irrationally and they may think oh this may be our only chance to strike here but I think the White Sox window is just opening it's it's not about to close so I don't, I don't think they have to do anything like that so yeah that's a, that's a good question and and something that that's like the big thing going forward here for the Sox is that rotation so uh, thanks Matt for checking in oh look who we got here checking in it's our guy Pete Hand hello my name is Mr. Hand Hello, Mr. Hand. Uh, this is short and sweet. Fellas, what's with the Sox infatuation with Nicky Del Monaco? <laughs> he sent this before Saturday, uh, I believe it was, when they, when they when they reinstated him from Schaumburg and then he didn't play once again. But, uh, yeah, what, what is up with the Sox and Nicky Del Monaco? I mean, he's dreamy. He's good to look at. I'm yeah. like, I, I like him better with the short hair. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, me too. He's, <laughs> it works better. His eyes are great. Um, jawline looks like a model. Um, could talk college football with the best of them. Loves Georgia. Things like that. As far as baseball, I don't know. I don't I, He's left-handed? Question. We mark? we know Ricky loves his handedness. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, no, he's not a major league baseball player. And to say that is, you know, coming from a guy who's not close to being a major league baseball player, it's not a necessary slight on Nicky Delmonico. The guy's great, but we gotta be working with the thought of only major leaguers here. This isn't the old White Sox. We're not a charity. We're not trying to make people feel good. We're a major league baseball team that's trying to win a championship this year. They're trying this year. And Nicky Delmonico shouldn't be on a team that is trying to win a championship ever, ever. And I don't know. I don't know. His personality must be great for the clubhouse because they don't bring him up. They don't actually have him do anything with a bat when he comes up unless you're Ricky Renteria to start the year and you have him five straight games, five straight games he started for this Chicago White Sox team. Five straight. Amazing. Amazing. And look where they are now. Exactly. Without him, they're much better. <laughs> yeah, but then you, they DFA'd him, or not, they just sent him back down to Charlotte after Saturday. How many options does he have? I mean, uh, how does that... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, come on, Pete. You're supposed to ask us questions that we can actually answer and make us look good. I have no idea, man. I, we, we've, been, we've been trying to figure this out since the start of the season, but thank you, as always, Pete, for checking in. And thank you for sending in that sweet-ass photo of your what appeared to be an authentic black Alex Fernandez jersey, true to the era, early 90s, that we talked about uh, in uh, in last mailbag about how those great 90s black alternate tops and how they've really added too much to them over the years. That was a sweet-ass jersey. Uh, uh, hopefully next time uh, I'll see you at the ballpark rocking that, man, because that, that was a nice nice jersey and uh, good, good on you for keeping it in such good condition. That's a, that's a nice one. So thanks for sending that photo as well of those beautiful black alternates from the early 90s. Uh, here's here's our guy Mike checking in again. Is it true, Michael? <laughs> hey guys, one of my buddies sent me some tweets about Vaughn coming up soon from Schaumburg. Whether that's true or not, probably not. Uh, what exactly have they been doing to train in Schaumburg? Scrimmages, inner squad only, practice. He mentioned outstanding peripherals for Vaughn, but not sure 
how he is being evaluated there. Quite a week in the White Sox world, so I thought I'd add to the hype. Talk soon and stay well, boys. We're not well, clearly. Um, P.S. I accidentally sent this email first to the I'm Fat podcast. <laughs> Been a long weekend at work, so Same go thing. easy on me. <laughs> yeah, we're also fat, but we just don't brag about it, and we don't feel compelled to tell people how fat we are. But yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Jay and Rick. You got to check out our guys from the I'm Fat podcast. They, they're doing great things, Jay Zawoski and Rick Camp, of course. So check them out. They're, they're, they're funny. They do their thing, and they just talk about food. Um, I've got something here from someone who, who's been there in Schaumburg. Uh, you have, do you know anything about what goes on there in Schaumburg? Cause I certainly didn't. That's why I absolutely I, don't know. Only people I know that have been out there, are James Fox and Clinton Cole. Yeah. And I mean, there's plenty of other people, but those are the only people I know that have been out there and saw what they do out there. Exactly. So, you know, we talked to Foxy a couple weeks ago, so I decided to hit up Clinton Cole, who's been doing a great job taking photos for the White Sox. And, you know, he, you can see him on social media, follow him at CDCole55 for Clinton Cole. So I asked him that question uh, because I, I couldn't tell you. So he says, so tomorrow they're having pitchers throw to live hitters. Uh, I know for a fact that Tyler Johnson is throwing. When I was there a couple weeks ago, they took on-field batting practice, infield took ground balls, and a few pitchers threw a pen, and then there was a live BP with a pitcher and batter, but no fielders. So it doesn't sound like they're playing a lot of scrimmage games, which, uh, you know, I guess for the the health, because they're there strictly to be there in, in emergency break glass and you know for covid reasons but also health reasons that so they're i could understand why they're not playing full-on games because you're, then you're playing at full intensity full speed and that's how guys get injuries and imagine trying to go and and call up someone like luis gonzalez and all of a sudden he's dealing with a hamstring injury or something like that so it sounds like they're doing very minimal work but as clinton points out they're trying to do a lot of things to stay sharp without actually playing a ton of, of actual games so that's that's all I know about it, which is nothing. So that's why I asked the people that do know. So thank you, Clinton Cole, for helping us out on that one. Clinton Cole, a great guy, um, and follow him on Twitter and, and see some of his great White Sox photos as well. Okay, moving on here, Jordan from Elk Grove Village. Here's Jordan. Jordan writes this. Do you think it would be a good idea to call up Vaughn and give him some reps at DH given Edwin's lack of consistency? And this sort of piggybacks into what we were talking about with Mike's question about Vaughn and. I don't think there's any way they're calling up Andrew Vaughn this year whatsoever. What do you think, Herb? Only if a couple people get hurt will Andrew Vaughn be on this major league roster. Edwin Encarnacion will be fine, guys. He'll be a hitting machine once he figures out what he's doing wrong and gets his rhythm. We could see little little snippets of him coming out of it the other day when he hit the two home runs in one game, I think, versus Detroit. He'll be fine. He'll be uh, the Edwin Encarnacion that you see that shows up for Cleveland or Detroit or whatever team that he's been on hitting 30 bombs a year. Um, Vaughn, I don't think you'll see him on the Major League stat, uh, roster unless you get an injury from Encarnacion. You get an injury to one of the catchers. Who I still don't be. think you'd see him then. They probably put Nicky Delmonico at first oh, base. Oh, God. Keep, I, keep on bringing his name up. And I think it's because, look – they, with the financial uncertainty, you even heard the Cubs come out. You know, Theo Epstein spoke on Friday about how they were basically told that's going to be tough for them to take on any salary. And I know their financial situation is different than the Sox, but in a lot of ways, the Sox are always playing a step behind as far as the finances go. So I don't think they're in any position where they're going to want to start a guy's clock early, a service time clock early, just for for you know 
and this is this sounds messed up, but just for uh, a one shot deal and one year chance at a World Series, you know, I think they they're thinking big picture, and they don't know what twenty twenty one is going to bring. So what, they're not going to start a guy's clock. And I think ultimately it's a it's a, a depth issue and it's a position issue. Like he's not going to be able to get it every day at bats. You know, being a DH first baseman. You know, so oh, you know who they could bring up to do that. If Edwin Encarnacion gets hurt, Nicky Delmonico. No, the actual <laughs> guy that can hit baseballs, Yermi Mercedes. They brought him up for one at bat versus Kansas City, and oh boy, what an at bat it and was! Then sent his ass back to the taxi squad. Yeah, that's that- the guy that will probably be brought up. If they have injury at the DH slash catcher slash first base spot, absolutely, I think you're right on that. Yeah, Vaughn, you're not going to see because I think what what happens if you call him up and all of a sudden he struggles a little bit. Now all of a sudden your number one trade chip is uh, not looking good out here, not looking too appealing. So yeah, I don't think you'll see it. Um, and I hope you don't see it. I hope we're not in a position where we're like, oh, please bring him up because then we got some big time problems. So I hope that answers your question. But uh, I just think that's uh, how it's going to go down with uh, Andrew Vaughn going forward here in 2020. Uh, finally here, last question from Sam. Sam says, hi, Herb and Chris. Hi, Sam. Hello. It's Sam from Hinsdale, longtime listener. My question is, given Alex Colome is a pending free agent this offseason, you guys thinking re-signing him to a reasonable short deal be better, or do you think you should be promoting a solid bullpen guy like Aaron Bummer to be the closer next year? What are your thoughts on next season's closer options? Well, you've heard Stoney talk a lot about Aaron Bummer being a possible closer, but Herb, what do you think? I think, yeah, you, you want a solid bullpen guy at the end. The traditional, this guy's the closer, and you pay him as such, which Alex Colomay deserves to get paid in his free agency year. And if it's too prohibitive for the White Sox, or they think it's too much, with guys they already have on this roster, Aaron Bummer just signed in a long-term extension for himself, then go another way. But you just need outs. You're not paying for the actual save. You're paying for outs. And Aaron Bummer gets outs. Evan Marshall gets outs. Matt Foster gets outs. Zach Birdie eventually will get outs. I mean, he gets outs now, but he'll get high leverage outs. Well, I think the they future. should groom him a little bit, you know, for that. Like maybe not at a because if you're up if you're up late in the game in the ninth, you're going to want Colome out there. But if you're in a non-save spot, sort of like Saturday night was, I think you should see Birdie out there, see if he can close the game for you. Not in the traditional get a save sense, but yeah. how do you handle the last three outs? I think that's your guy ultimately. Yeah. But yeah, I think next year. It's going to be a weird situation financially with a lot of teams. I think you're going to see a lot of situations where guy signs a one-year deal to stay with this current team. You know, I, I think that's just going to how it's going to go down across all of baseball. Just because it's a weird year this year and then next year the uncertainty. Yeah, exactly. So I think a lot of guys just like, you know what, I'm comfortable here and my, my market will be a lot better in 2022. So I think a lot of guys are just going to hang around for one year and I think they'd be smart to bring Colome back on a good deal. Because, you know, you're, you're trying to shorten games. And Colome at the end is working so far this year. Then you have Bummer. And then you have the flexibility of Birdie maybe being the bridge guy. And then Bummer can just be your high leverage at any time of the game guy. So, yeah, I, I think they'd be best served to bring Colome back for next year. Pending, you know, as long as the finances are right for them and everyone involved. But, yeah, I, but they should have options now with your, with your Matt Fosters of the world, who I would like to see maybe get a shot at starting next year. So, you know. A lot of things in play here, but yeah, sorry if I cut you off there, but no, you said okay. Zach Birdie, and I immediately think that's the guy because that's who he was drafted to be, right? He was drafted to be, we all saw it, oh, that's your closer of the future right there. So I think they should give him some, some more high leverage spots. He's been great so far, and if he can close out a ball game for you like in a blowout and just sort of give him the taste – 
That way, if Alex Colomay decides, you know, if, if all of a sudden the Dodgers or the Yankees throw him a shitload of money and he says, I can't say no to this, then that way you have a backup plan there. So, Yeah, I agree. I think back in the day, White Sox were trading uh, these guys, uh, with Sergio Santos and other guys <laughs> that, you know, on a bad team, a closer that's really doing well, it's just it's just unnecessary. You don't pay a closer all that much money. You can find guys to get the final outs. And sometimes in the ninth inning, the last three outs are much easier than the outs that happened prior because they could be the seven, eight, nine guy instead of when the game was hanging in the balance and the three, four, five hitters are coming up and you bring in a lesser pitcher, and I'll put those in quotes, to get those out. So I wouldn't pay for a closer in the traditional sense. I would pay for a guy that gets out. So if he wants to be, you know, stay here, probably has to take a hometown discount. Which, yeah, I think could still be in play. But, yeah, that's certainly one of the big things going into next year. And hopefully it's one of those situations where Sox win the World Series in 2020 and now Colome is getting paid somewhere else because he's got, he's got a World Series pedigree. Yeah, oh, see, see you later, man. It's been real. Thank you very much. Um, I will see you in the 10 years. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think that about does it. Very Another spirited edition of Mailbag Monday. And if they want to get a hold of us for next week's Mailbag Monday, how can they do that, Herb? Write us at... LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. That is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. As you just heard, we answer all the ones that make the show, and we read them all for now because we're getting a decent amount, but not all of them make the show. So send them in early. The early ones, we usually make the show because they're the best. They're they're fresh. They're right in the minds off of a, a Mailbag Monday episode. And so they got the, the rhythm, what we're going to ask and what we're going to answer in the next Mailbag Monday episode. So you're listening right now on a Monday? Send that damn thing in right now. I'm looking at my phone right now while you're listening to the show and see if I get an email. What are you doing uh, tonight uh, with no White Sox on? I, I, I'm looking forward. I think I'll watch the Cubs and Casey Mize for the Tigers going against uh, Alec Mills. That should be a fun game. I think I'm going to just exercise, which is weird tonight because I haven't done it a lot. And I just got my my uh, blood levels back, my blood test back. And they said I'm good, oh, but yeah. I can do for a little bit more exercise. Who couldn't? Yeah. Which I, is weird. I You know, early on in the, in the COVID uh I was going for walks almost every day to clear my head and sort of keep active. I miss going to the gym every day at work, um, you know, because we have one right in our building. And that was best for my routine is, you know, drop the kid off at school and go down to work and go work out. And then you're energized and your your head's clear for another work day. But I've missed that incredibly uh, in my life. But I think tomorrow morning, I like going for walks early in the day. But yeah, tomorrow night too would be a good option. Throw on the Cubs, uh, throw on Pet Hills and, and the Coom Dog on the MLB at Bad App and listen to them and walk around the neighborhood a little bit. So yeah, that, that, that sounds like a good idea. But yeah, that, that, that does it for us, Herbie. Uh, another spirited edition. So uh, it was great talking to you and thanks for coming by to the crib. I hope the, uh, hope the nachos were to your liking tonight. Mm, very delicious. <laughs> Cholula. We had some delicious nachos, some uh, refried beans on them, some beef. Ground delicious. ground turkey. Yeah, oh, that was turkey. Yeah, wow. didn't even know it. Oh, my God. It's flavorful. Um, you don't even get ground turkey. It's just all bland and shit. Oh. I mean, this is the second time you've you fooled <laughs> me with ground it. turkey. Sneak it in on you. Yeah, yeah. ground turkey you had for the burritos a couple weeks ago. That's right. Delicious. Yeah, I, yeah, I enjoy it. You, we we want to keep you around here a long time, Herbie. We want to keep you healthy. Exactly. That's why the ground <laughs> turkey is so delicious, and you season it well. That was Friends my wife that, tonight, yeah. Friends, friends, uh, what they say about whites and seasoning? Incorrect. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So for Chris Tannehill, follow him at 
Chris Tannehill. Follow me, Herb Lawrence, at Ectorwall23. And yes, it is Lawrence spelled backwards. Follow the show, Locked On Socks, on Twitter and on Instagram. So this has been another great episode of Mailbag Monday. We appreciate you listening to Locked On Socks.